It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Faster podcast. Today, Brandon and I are talking about training around injuries. Uh, this is something we have a lot of experience with, uh, working with patients, clients, athletes who are trying to do this. We talk a little bit about some of our favorite exercises to use and why we want to keep training if we're dealing with an injury. Hopefully, you'll leave today's episode with a lot of actionable info. If you could, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. It's really important to us. helps us reach more people. It's also a great place to leave a comment or a question on a topic that you want us to talk about. I hope you really enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. We've had a couple great guests lately covering some complex topics referring to pain science and more holistic approach to treatment. But today, Brandon and I are going to be just ourselves, and we're going to talk a little bit about training around injuries, you know, a topic that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us have had to deal with throughout, you know, throughout our training career, having an injury here or there or in the clinic. Someone comes to you that's a hard charger, wants to keep working out, and they come to you with some type of injury, and you've got to figure out, okay, what can I do for this person? Uh, so that's what we're getting into today. Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Um, today is officially the last day of the Open, right? Yeah, crazy. I know. It's uh, been a long five weeks, stressful five weeks, uh, kind of you know, happy that it's over, to say the least. Well, how are your athletes doing? Are you going to take a team to regionals this year? Yeah, man. I, you know, if it, the results aren't in, um, as you know, as of the time of us recording this, uh, the team is in qualifying positions. Hopefully, um, if our scores hold up well, we'll have a team down there uh, to go along with a few individuals. So it should be a nice representation. Um, but again, scores aren't in, so I'm not going to officially say anything or celebrate yet. We got to wait till probably Wednesday, man. A lot of times, they people don't validate the scores for a while. It kind of it gets a little annoying sitting there waiting. Nice, man. Well, well. I'm sure you're going to have plenty. I'm sure everybody that you expected to go is going to go. So congratulations on that. Um, is, uh, is, is Frazier the favorite to win again this year? Yeah, man, it's, it's hard to see anybody beating that guy. Uh, to tell you the truth, he is, uh, he's impressive, uh, to say the least. It does. It seems that no matter what you throw at him, uh, he performs well. And even, you know, the last couple of years, you know, everybody talks about, Oh, well, he's not strong in this. He's not strong in that. And then they throw out that, exact type of workout at the games and you know, like a 7k run and he comes out and wins it uh so yeah, uh, the guy seems to whenever he there's a perceived weakness he seems to figure out a way to make it strength yeah he can adapt like no other man he is a he's a mom um you know we actually uh we we're talking about this at work the other day man but like you know one of the things that i think is missing from crossfit is that 
there's no trash talk, man. Like there's no, like, I feel like CrossFit needs a bad guy. Like <laughs> yeah. what is like, what, what if like last year when Frazier won, if you'd have got on the podium, got on the mic and said something like, I'm the reason why Franny retired and just walked away. <laughs> from that would be, right? that would be amazing from a, probably a marketing publicity standpoint, but it just seems the whole mantra of CrossFit being about the community and everyone supporting each other. I, I find it hard for a, a bad guy to be successful. Uh, but there are probably a few guys out there that uh, maybe have a reputation for being a little controversial, but I, I don't know if we're going to get a full out, uh, you know, uh, trash talk war like that though. I, I tell you this, man, his, his prize money would have instantly doubled. And you know, <laughs> great Grayson Allen is the only reason why I watched Duke play basketball this, this year's March Madness. But. Oh, I know. And that just ended, man. Duke's out now. As of this <laughs> recording, Kansas coming and beating him in overtime. I can't say so, I was upset about that. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. The bad guy lose, man. That's what it's all about. I'm pulling, I'm pulling for Sister Jean and, uh, and Loyola now. Uh, I'm jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, like you said, man, we are, uh, we are back to our meathead roots this week. Oh, yeah. Um, Talking about training around injuries. So, you know, I mean, this is important for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's important for the well-being of our patients, not only from a physical standpoint, but really from a mental health standpoint. And to be honest with you, this is, this is what half of my practice is based around. You know, we got to be able to help our clientele come up with methods where they can, you know, not only rehab their injuries, but hopefully gain fitness at the same time so they can continue to get after it. Um, and I know, I know early in my career, I used to get several patients that come see me for a second opinion because a lot of times it's their physician or another physical therapist would tell them to just stop lifting or stop running. Unfortunately, patients wouldn't accept that answer. And, you know, back then when I was new, my initial reaction was like, well, this is great. That's more patients for me. But, you know, as I've gotten older, my, my, my attitude has changed completely on that. You know, I still get folks that come in. They'll tell me that same story from time to time. But nowadays, I legitimately get embarrassed because, you know, when a patient walks into the door of a PT clinic, gets that response, you know, that, that becomes their opinion of the whole profession. And that just makes us all look bad because we're not doing people any favors by putting them on the shelf. You know, you know as you know, people can get deconditioned in such a short amount of time. And it really just doesn't even fit the APTA's current vision statement about optimizing movement to improve the human experience, right? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you're exactly right, dude. And that's uh, the the biggest thing is the, you know, that's why these CrossFit coaches are, uh, you know, becoming almost that first line of defense because they can, you know, they're in class, they'll go and talk to their, their coach who's going to try what, you know, coach, CrossFit coaches are taught to how to find pe- ways to modify things for clients, whether it be ability level or experience or proficiency in a movement. So this is just one more thing where, you know, they're going to, they're not going to want to go see somebody about an injury if they're going to get told that they can't do anything. So um, this is a huge area that, uh, I think as a profession, as PT profession, something that where we can really make an impact if we adjust kind of our way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, the, what you're saying about coaches modifying things, I mean, a lot of times it could just be, just be modifying someone's position and that can fix the problem. And of course that doesn't always work. Um, but then actually modifying the movements that they're doing, that's, that's almost an art. You know, it, it takes, it takes some, some experience, it takes some time in the trenches to be able to figure that stuff out. So hopefully, you know, this episode, you know, I know what I want to bring to this episode to the table is some simple solutions that I use in the clinic on a daily basis. And, um, you know, we've been getting a lot of feedback from our listeners and, you know, some have said that they like when we give information on things we can implement. Um, so I know another stuff that we're going to talk about is really groundbreaking, but I think it's pretty effective. So, um, I know where do you want to start, man? You know, I, I was thinking, um, we could kind of get into talking about what we were saying earlier about systemic effects, um, cross education yeah. theory. Right. So um, I think uh, we kind of have two 
maybe a couple categories of where people will fit when they come to see you in this instance. Maybe it is something where it's really an injury on one side and we do have to maybe, you know, maybe remove that specific part from training, but the, that doesn't mean we aren't training everything else. We aren't still working out. We aren't using the contralateral limb, the other side. Um, if this is the case, somebody really does have a, a, say, a shoulder issue on the right side and is unable to press overhead safely, maybe we can find a variation like a landmine press or something that we'll get into that they can do on that side. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing things with their other shoulder, their other arm pressing up overhead, or still training the lower body and creating some of those systemic effects. Because we know that, yes, there may is going to be a strength deficit with detraining of, say, you know, an upper limb, saying they're not training their right side. There's going to be a strength deficit up to maybe 20 or 30% in the first couple of weeks, um, which is kind of hard to believe. But that, that really does happen. But if we are still training the opposite limb, uh, then we get some carryover to the affected side. And that's kind of counterintuitive. Uh, I get people that come to me um, as a coach and, and they'll be, they'll something be bothering, bothering them, but I'm still having them do the opposite side. And they're like, well, aren't, aren't I going to create this imbalance? Aren't I going to get really strong on one side? And then my, my other limbs can be lagging behind. And there really is some nice carryover um, kind of that cross education, that cross training from, uh, you know, to the affected limb. Uh, and it, there are a few reasons why that may be happening. A lot of it is really um, kind of adaptations to the neural network or motor planning. You, you do get some carryover and, uh, to that affected side, even without doing the, uh, doing the movement itself. And there have been some cool studies out there showing some really huge effects. I think classically we were taught it was like maybe 5 to 10% of a carryover. But I know you were talking about an article you said it was more like 20 to 30. And I even read an article that, that said it was up to 40 um, when it was involved when the limb that the carryover was going to was the non-dominant limb. There was more room for, for carryover uh, in that instance. So uh, that's, that's crazy to think about. Not only are we preventing all of this detraining um, and kind of that loss, but we're actually getting some strength carryover without even training that affected side. So um, that's one aspect. Anything you want to add on that specific aspect, man? No, I just, you maybe uh, you brought back a memory um, back during your clinical rotation. I mean, we had, uh, we had a patient that was a bodybuilder and he was legit freaked out to, yes, to, yes. to, to train his, his um, unaffected arm, man. Oh, but, man um, so worried about the symmetry. Yeah. We, we talked him into it. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, so, so in the clinical setting you know, as a therapist, you're probably going to spend your whole session or most of your session working on a patient's post-operative shoulder, for example, you know, doing mm -hmm. your manual therapy, your uh, you know, re rehab exercise. But if you have time or if you want to give a patient something to work on when they leave your clinic, you know, have them put their sling on and they need to be training the hell out of that unaffected arm because a lot of that is going to carry over to the other side. And if you don't do that, you're pretty much going to be, you know, doing a disservice to them, you know, especially once you know this information. So it's very, very important. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then that, that also leads us into the systemic effects of exercise and how important those are. So if we, you know, say it's a post-op shoulder and we're not doing anything at all, we're not taking advantage of the opportunity to, you know, potentially uh, change, you know, growth hormone levels or IGF-1 levels and other things, all these different things that are products of training and exercise that also could benefit the healing that's going on. So we can actually support the healing process in say that affected shoulder in this example through training the rest of the body. And that's, you know, something that, you know, we don't want to, you know, we can't afford to miss. If we're really trying to get patients better faster than, you know, including, you know, that overall training, training other aspects uh, allows us to really get some carryover there, which is only going to help the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 
it, sometimes you got to get creative, but you need to figure out ways to get your patients doing heavy squats and heavy deadlifts if they're shoulder mm-hmm. patients, because that is going to increase their serum growth hormone. That's going to, you know, increase the amount of uh, collagen that gets produced and that's going to speed up and enhance their human response. Um, so this is, this is pretty hard evidence and it's, and it's kind of hard to argue on this yeah. as well established in the literature. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, besides that, um, I, I think one of the things we should mention is how important it is to maintain someone's aerobic base as well too, right? Oh yeah. So what are some strategies that you'd implement? I know you've had several post-op patients that you've, you know, had continued to train to some degree in your gym over the years. You know, what are some things that you might incorporate? Yeah, for, uh, from an aerobic standpoint, I'm definitely getting them, you know, on the bike, you know, if it's an upper extremity, we're keeping the shoulder in sense, because that seems to be CrossFit, what seems to be the biggest thing is, is lower backs and shoulders, that seems to be the biggest part. So if it's a shoulder patient, they, are, they need to be on the bike, they need to be moving, they need to, uh, you know, get move blood that's the big that's a huge thing we can't have them just be sedentary and the only thing they're doing is their their shoulder uh, rehab protocol uh, so I'm going to get them moving as much as possible if it's a shoulder patient I'm also going to try to find like you said a squat variation I can do namely maybe like a belt squat variation something where I'm not um, putting any load near the shoulder or through the shoulder I'm, I'm you know finding a way to load it differently I'm doing um, you know a ton of unilateral leg work there because it doesn't require as much external load so split squats lunges those kind of variations there. Um, I'm going to find, uh, you know, I'm going to do single, single arm swings. I'm going to, so I can get some hinging in that you can find a ton of different ways to still load and, and train the rest of the body there. Um, but you know, the biggest thing for me is, is getting them comfortable with moving right away. Cause they, uh, you know, sometimes there's a little apprehension, especially it's post-op shoulder that, you know, and you want to get them on the bike that kind of look at you a little, little, uh, a little funny, but it's like explaining why that's important. Usually, uh, there's, a, there's some good buy-in and if they're a CrossFitter already in my gym and they've got, uh, something going on, man, it's more of holding them back than trying to convince them they need to move. Yeah, absolutely, man. That, that, that stuff is so important. And usually, you know, once they get the first workout in, the, the apprehension is completely gone and yep. they're down the, otherwise. So, um, good, good deal, man. Well, um, so let's get into some of these, um, you know, commonly, uh, scaled movements that we like to use in the clinic. You know, I think mm-hmm. the number one on my list is the landmine press, which you mentioned early. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my favorites for shoulder patients. So if you're not familiar with this, the landmine is just an angled barbell. So there's equipment companies that make attachments. They go to the bottom of a rig or a squat whack, squat, squat rack, excuse me. And while those are nice, they really aren't necessary. You can actually just stick a barbell in the corner of a gym or the corner of a bench. I know back in the high school days, we just put a 45 pound plate on the ground and stick a barbell right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing about the landmine is that it allows a person to press at about a 45 degree ish angle. So it's perfect for a person who's dealing with shoulder impingement or someone who doesn't have ample mobility to overhead press, or even a post-surgical patient who's a little bit further into the rehab protocol who might be trying to bridge that gap between horizontal and vertical pressing. Um, <clears throat> there's a ton of variations. You can do single double arm presses. You can get fancy and introduce banded, banded resistance. You can even do thrusters or push presses with a landmine. It's just a versatile tool. And, you know, it's something where you can actually introduce enough weight to get strong. And, um, you know, a good resource for this, uh, Nick Tominello, are you familiar with him? I'm not. So he's, a, he's, a, he's a personal trainer. He's one of those guys that, um, you know, re, uh, trains a lot of celebrities. But a few years back, he put out a series of videos 
on angle barbell training. I think that's what it's called is angle barbell training. Um, but it's, it's really nice. It's, it talks about the landmine in detail, not just for pressing. It's a lot of, a lot of core and lower body movements, um, but it's pretty good. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Yeah, I'm going to check that out, man. I love landmine work. Like you said, it's a way to, you know, kind of honestly grade the exposure to back to overhead pressing because you, as you, you know, move your body position relative to the landmine, you can change the angle as well. So over time you're working that person more and more into full shoulder flexion and, and it's a way to get them comfortable with that movement again. So I, I load that up even in my asymptomatic shoulders. Um, I love to do landmine work, um, it, whether it be pressing or rowing or any other variation that you talked about there. So uh, landmine's a versatile tool that, like you said, you don't need a, an attachment. If you're going to, um, you, you can get them, but I, I think using a corner is just fine. Yeah, man. Um, it's just, it's like you said, it's a good way just to vary the stimulus too um, mm-hmm. for people who aren't injured. So uh, number two on the list is the box squat. This probably should have been number one because, yeah, I'd probably say I use them the most in the clinic. But mm-hmm. a box squat basically allows you to squat to a desired depth. And you can easily set this up by putting a box or a bench behind you on the squat rack and use it as your target. So, you know, when it comes to human performance and movement, the general rule is that you're not going to get better at something by not doing it. And as human beings, we all need to be able to sit down and stand up. So that's essentially what a squat is. Um, so we use box squat all the time for our knee patients who have everything from patellofemoral pain to post-ops, um, gosh, hip impingement patients, uh, low back pain patients, people that don't have the mobility or the motor control to execute a proper squat. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's just a really nice catch-all movement. And of course, you can perform any kind of squat you want there. You're just decreasing the depth or bringing the ground up. And over time, as the patient gets better, you, you can basically lower the box to get rid of it completely. Yeah, I think it's great too. Like I, I, for me personally, man, I, in, you know, this is me trying to remember that, you know, trying to be an athlete again, playing flag football and intramurals where, you know, rolling an ankle and uh, it was, it was pretty severe last fall. And so I I didn't want to stop training. I went through an entire box squat protocols an eight week cycle um, ended up hitting a PR for an all time actual squat um, now, but as a box squat at the end of all while doing ankle rehab at the same time, like doing what I need to do to get, um, you know, in terms of fluid control and regaining some range of motion there and then building back some proprioception, some low level ankle exercises, I was still able to go through a box squat protocol. So um, it's something that, you know, is forgotten and I think underutilized for sure. Yeah, I mean, and nothing to scoff at either. I mean, those are staples in the powerlifting community. I mean, yeah. if you ever followed Westside Barbell's conjugate method, I mean, they basically mm-hmm. box squat all year long. And I think we can learn a lot by stepping out of our bubbles and kind of picking up tips from other people who are the strongest on the planet. Yeah, no, I think I use it a ton too. Um, I, I, one is a training tool too. If somebody's gotten a, you know, a, a poor squat mechanics, it's a great way to help, help teach, teach the squat. But for me, a lot of times in the gym, um, especially with a lot of our female athletes um, that are maybe a little bit newer to training or, or are trying to up their volume, they get some patellofemoral pain and, you know, using the box squat and cueing it correctly and ensuring that they're doing everything the right way. Uh, it's a great way for them to still continue training, building up the requisite strength needed to prevent future uh, patellofemoral issues. Yeah, absolutely. And plus it generally allows you to keep your shin a little more vertical and mm-hmm. that is usually going to increase the retropatellar space. So definitely a good, good thing for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. All right. So next one I had on the list is the rack pull. So the rack pull is essentially just a partial range of motion deadlift. And the way you set this up is you put the barbell on pins in the squat rack, or you can just set up plates on the floor and lift from there. Um, you can go as high or as low as needed, uh, kind of like the box squat. You're just bringing the ground up. 
you know, I can't think of a better exercise for strengthening the low back than a properly executed deadlift because we all need to be able to pick things up from the ground. So it's very functional and not to mention the deadlift is probably the most important exercise for wanting to look good naked. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I think that you're right. I love Zach, uh, our buddy Zach Long just put out an article, um, deadlifts for lower back pain and for lower back rehab. And I thought it was great. And, you know, there's this stigma around deadlifts and rack pulls that I just, I can't comprehend. Uh, you know, if you're not including these in, in, uh, one in your program, but also in, in your, your rehab programs, uh, I think you're really missing out on a really valuable tool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. I mean, we use it in the clinic all the time. You know, I especially like it for patients with acute low back pain because I want to get them back to pulling as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, depending on how severe the pain is, um, how acute it is, we might start rack pulls on day one of rehab. It just might be very high. Like you might be pulling from mid thigh or something like that. Um, right. But gosh, we use this for hip patients, knee patients, um, people who, so we have a lot of people who are just very tall and just maybe better off pulling from the rack than the floor in general. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have a lot further to travel than I do. Um, and also just people who are just learning how to hinge or how to pull properly in the first place. Yeah, no, I think that it, it's something that, um, for me, like you say, it can be a training tool too. I'll use this kind of when I, as I'm teaching it, but if anybody comes, you know, with some kind of lower back issue, I'm trying to figure out what they can tolerate. I'm not trying to figure out what, what I, ha- what I need to pull away. Cause I think people automatically go to, Oh, you got a lower, ba- a little lower back tightness. Uh, we're not going to deadlift. It's like, okay, maybe there's a little lower back tightness. What can we do pain free here? Um, and a lot of times a rack pull or some kind of hinging from just uh, a smaller range of motion is tight tolerable and ultimately it's going to help them you know recover and get back to be doing the full movement absolutely and we'll get lower as they get better exactly yeah i think i think that's something too that is is underutilized the box squat and rack pull um i think they're important just from in any general program if you're you know again just going back to training if your deadlift is you know if you're limited at the top and the lockout's an issue you know we don't hesitate to go to some rack pulls but um i think it can be used in the rehab community as well Mm -hmm. oh yeah so um last thing I had on my notes were uh, reversing the Olympic lifts. So, you know, I know we both work with a lot of CrossFit athletes and Olympic lifting is a big part of the sport Mm -hmm. and you can lateralize or regress Olympic lifts just like anything else. So for example, if someone has really crappy wrist mobility and cannot catch a clean because they can't get into the front rack position, they can work on the clean pool for a while until they get that mobility and they can still maintain or actually gain some power. Um, You know, this makes me think of Joe Ken. He's the Mm -hmm. strength and conditioning coach for the Carolina Panthers, came to town a couple years back, and he basically said that he spends most of his time um, just on the clean pull itself because he he doesn't want to introduce excess risk to his players' wrists and hands in the weight room. Um, So, you know, that kind of made me buy into that a little bit more than what I was doing at the time. Um, You know, someone has crappy overhead mobility or motor control and can't perform the snatch properly, same thing. Haven't worked on the snatch pull, the snatch high pull instead. you know, as far as um, the pulling position, if someone's maybe dealing with a near knee injury and, and you, they can't squat deep, you can have them land in the power position during the clean or the snatch for a while. Um, someone's dealing with a back injury, we might have them pull from the hang instead of the ground for a while. I mean, those are just some examples of how my brain works in the clinic, but there really are endless combinations for how you can address a little bit less depending on the person in front of you. Yeah, no, you went through uh, a lot of what goes through my mind too. Again, it comes back to, okay, I've got something that, that this person is, is dealing with. Uh, I'm really not thinking about, okay, what can't I do? I'm trying to find what can I do and find, you know, especially if they're a CrossFitter or an Olympic weightlifter, um, you know, I don't know one person in, in the CrossFit world or the Olympic weightlifting world that doesn't have some, you know, some way they can still improve their snatch and clean. And, you know, they're, everyone's going to benefit from working on position work, you know, from the ground. Like you said, the clean, they can't catch clean in the front rack, doing halting deadlifts, 
clean deadlifts, snatch deadlifts, pulls, you know, everyone is going to benefit from that. And it will eventually have carryover once they're able to do the full movement again, um, catching things in the power position or doing you know, muscle cleans and muscle snatches because we aren't able to go all the way down. There's still a benefit from that. Um, doing work from the hang because we aren't able to hinge um, all the way down uh, for, for whatever reason. There's still a ton of benefit from that or doing work from the blocks. Uh, there really isn't, um, you know, it, it, it's rare that at least in my realm as a coach, somebody comes to me with something that, that I can't find a variation where we can still get good training in. Um, you know, obviously there are probably situations out there where there, you know, maybe we do have to pull that completely from their training. But for me, just in my everyday, you know, the vast majority of people that come to me, there is something that that person's going to be able to do. I just have to, you know, use my brain, and try to figure it out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I said. That's where, you know, experience is important. Um, you have to, you know, have been in the trenches and kind of know your way around the weight room or just, you know, just know really good strength and conditioning coaches. You know, I've been spoiled to have you guys around me and that's definitely made me better as a PT for sure over the past several years. Um, you got any other tricks you want to talk about? I know you have a thing you like to do with, um, with uh, wrist straps for the front rack position. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things too. It's like, uh, you know, front squat sometimes even, you know, uh, wrist, if a wrist is an issue, you could put, do something where you put uh, actual straps on the, um, on the bar itself. Uh, and there's some people cross their arms. I personally like the method where I put straps on the bar, uh, just general weightlifting straps and, and am holding onto the straps in my hands. So my elbows can get up to where they're parallel with the floor and I can maintain that good upright torso while I'm going down. Um, that all, you know, that takes away, uh, again, uh, the need for that wrist extension. Um, but there are other little, little things like that, man. Um, I think we covered a lot of what I like to use box squats and belt squats. I use all the time. Um, I think those are, are, are great landmine work all the time, limiting the hinge range of motion. I think you can't go wrong there. Um, also, uh, finding, you know, for me, a lot of times too, since, you know, CrossFit seems to be such a, a, you know, bilateral, um, barbell driven sport. Um, for me, a lot of times if, if somebody is, can, is pressing overhead, they get a little pain in range. If I give them a dumbbell dumbbell and they externally rotate, they can press overhead. Sometimes I just create a little bit more space. Like it's sometimes just that simple where it's just like, okay, I just need to create a little bit more space. And now you can do the full range of motion. Um, you know, thing, you know, little things like that. I think, uh, we're, we're quick to try to pull away things. And I think it just takes a little bit more, uh, you know, creativity to try to figure out what this person can do. Yes, it's almost like an activation exercise, basically mm-hmm. with the dumbbell and yeah. the uh, and and the uh, wrist straps. That's kind of like a homemade safety bar. Squat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't have, you know if you have a safety bar. Say that's another thing. Do you if you can get things like a safety squat bar, um, a hex bar deadlift too can sometimes help people to do pulling from the ground when they can't do a yeah, conventional a deadlift. Um, you know, uh, or you're a trap bar. Um, you know, any of those. You know, those things can be used too. Um, one is just a great training tool, but also in the meantime, as you're working to get somebody back to um, the conventional movement. So um, those are great. I would always recommend too, if you have a, um, a BFR provider in your area, um, I know we've talked about that in the episode before, um, but that's such an awesome tool too, man. Um, Cause again, if you want, if you have an injury where you can't load something, um, fully to achieve the, you know, the effects you want, you know, cause you can't get up to 60, 65, 70% of your one RM to really try to create some hypertrophy or something in that side, you know, finding somebody that has BFR, um, that is a, a one great way to do it. Um, again, we talk about systemic effects. A lot of BFR's effects, um, are systemic, you know, you build up, uh, you know, that lactate buildup of working in your legs, you know, that again, you know, again, there's going to be systemic effects from that. You get, um, you also get work, you know, uh, proximal to the cuff because of that. So, um, I think that's another, uh, you know, underutilized area and someone else, someone else can, you know, you can look into that too, is find a BFR provider around you. 
Vertex's APFR provider. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, that's no, and, yeah, and that's that's another huge thing, man. I know that, um, and that's why you know, I don't send anybody anywhere else. I know if I send them over to you guys, um, you know, for whatever reason, or you know, I, I get people from other gyms, or you know, that that ask me, you know, what they should do, um, and you know, I send them over to um, over to you guys because I know you're going to find out you're going to find a way for them to continue to get better um, while you're working on whatever it is they came to see you with. So, um, you know, I think that everybody, if you're an, if you're an athlete in your area, you got to try to find providers like that. Um, I think that's a uh, underrated and we're, we're spoiled in Columbia. Yeah, no, we appreciate that, man. Those relationships are what have allowed us to um, keep our doors open the past two years too. Um, and along those lines, I actually had uh, one more point I wanted to address, and this one's actually about business. Mm-hmm. So uh, our listeners, they've been really good to us um, just with sending us messages and giving us feedback on this podcast. We really appreciate that. And, and this was actually really timely. Uh, this was just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you had a PT reach out to me and it's, it's really trendy right now for PTs to open up businesses inside of CrossFit boxes, which I think is great. Um, and this person in particular was asked for advice on how to get in with coaches and clients in his box because he was having a hard time getting started and building his caseload up. And as we, as we dove deeper in the conversation, he talked about how he was new to CrossFit, um, which is fine. We ought to start somewhere. And, you know, he seemed to be a solid PT from what I can tell. He's spent a lot of time on Con Ed, getting board certified, a lot of letters behind his name. But he made this comment that he said that he <clears throat> sort of disagreed with the way his patients were being tr- were training, and he didn't feel that some of the movements performed inside his CrossFit box were safe. And he actually verbalized that with some of his patients and even told a couple of them that they needed to take some time off completely. And, you know, that's his professional opinion. And by definition, he's doing his job. But the problem is that in, in CrossFit, you know, these communities are very tight-knit and people talk. And they don't want to be told that they can't do something. And I know gym owners and coaches especially don't want to hear that because now you're affecting their livelihood. You know, keeping members healthy and happy and retaining them is how they keep the doors open and pay the bills. Right. And, you know, the, the truth is that in this particular setting, you know, that, that's as a physical therapist, that's a good way to lose all your clientele quickly. But on the flip side, if you can get the reputation for not only delivering the result and getting people better, but actually communicating well with coaches and personal trainers in your community so they can continue to train, their clients can continue to train and get after it during the rehab process, you now actually become an asset to those gym owners. You become an asset to your community. And I've said this before, but in my opinion, nothing builds trust with a patient or a client better than a proper referring out. And if you can become that person, you'll be busy really fast. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats and everybody wins. So hopefully the things we talked about in this episode are practical. It can kind of help you build better relationships with where you're at. No, and I think that um, that also can carry over to uh, the coach too. I think about that. Everything you're saying from the coaching side of things is having somebody that you can, you know, if you're thinking about coach, uh, you know, being a coach at a gym or owning a gym, um, it's a lot harder to get new clients than it is to, or a lot more expensive to get new clients than it is to keep clients. So that's, it's a lot more important to retain your, your membership. And if you can find providers in your area that, you know, it, you know, if you have a member that does have an issue, because I mean, if you're training hard, some things do happen, you know, nothing is completely avoidable. Um, you know, if you go out and run every day, eventually you might have something go on. Um, so if you have providers that you can refer to that are going to keep that person training in your facility, you're much more likely to keep that person around because I know plenty of other gyms that where somebody gets hurt, they can't come to class anymore. And all of a sudden they haven't been to class in three weeks and they, re, you know, they decide they don't want to continue their membership. So if you are a coach, um, and you need to also try to find, find these relationships. So you know that you can keep your people coming into your gym on a daily basis, uh, because that's going to be huge for member retention. 
Solid episode, man. A lot of uh, a lot of actual content in this one. This is good. Yeah, no, it was, it was good, man. It was fun. Uh, we got to take a shot at Duke right there. Sorry to any of our <laughs> listeners that uh, that may like the Dukies, um, but uh, you know, other than that, I thought we were, we were pretty good. <laughs> well, um, you got anything else before uh, before I sign us off? No, man. I think we're good. All right. Well, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five star review, and you'll get the instant gratification of knowing you helped us out. Also, if you want to look us up, you can find us at betterfasterpodcast.com or at betterfasterpodcast. Uh, Josh is at carolinaperformancetraining.com or at cpt underscore strength. And you can find me at vertexpt.com or at vertexpt. I hope you all have a great week and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.